0: All right, let me invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Boys and girls up through third grade, you may be dismissed to your special time in God's word together. Let me invite the rest of you to turn to First Peter chapter 1 for our text this morning. Thank you for those who prayed uh, for me as I was out in Arizona last week. Uh, I landed in Phoenix. It was 117, which is a dry heat, which what that means, it sucks the life right out of you. That's <laughs> exactly what that means. Had a wonderful week at camp. Uh, at Grandview, and that's where Hunter and Connor were serving, and uh, the Lord just worked it out for me to be there for the last week, so they flew back uh, with me, so they are home for a couple more weeks before they head back to school, and uh, it was a wonderful week of ministry. Thank you for praying, and uh, we will be at community for a couple more weeks before hitting the road. Um, I just want to let you know, the, I've had a great time this summer working here. Church has been amazing. And I've really enjoyed our Thursday mornings at Panera, but bad news, it, it's done, okay? Sorry, if you go to Panera on, on Thursday morning at 7 o'clock for the next couple of weeks, I won't be there, okay? So you can have a coffee and a bagel on your own if you like, but I will not be there. Uh, but really enjoyed that time and, and had some great fellowship with some of the men in our church and um, have really been thankful for the opportunity to be a community this summer and all that God has done. First Peter chapter 1, we are going to be looking this morning... Um, and kind of in a text of scripture that really helps us to, re, to remember that as a believer we live our lives with hope as we go through the current life that we're in. One of the themes of First Peter is suffering, and suffers, uh, believers have suffered in every period of time, and the suffering here in First Peter is not simply persecution as a believer, it's suffering from any area of life. And God never promised us an easy life, and we will suffer as believers, but we have hope. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, kind of to get to where we are, it begins where Peter kind of lays out that the foundation for our hope is the fact that our salvation is the Father's, is the Father's sovereign work, and it's the Spirit's um, sanctifying work, and the Son's sacrificial work on our behalf. And because of our faith in Christ, Jesus is the focus of our faith, he is the center and source of our hope. And then he goes on to explain that even though we've not seen Christ, we love him, and this produces joy that is unspeakable. We can't even express it in words because of all of the glories and the joy that we have as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ, which kind of brings us to where we're going to begin this morning in verse number 10. As we begin our time together and our message this morning... We're reminded of this theme here is that God's word lays out in 1 Peter that our hope gives purpose to our living, to our daily walk. You see, as a believer, sometimes as we suffer when we go through difficult times, it's it's really hard to walk. You ever had one of those circumstances where you're not even sure if you want to get out of bed, how to take the next step? Your emotions are an emotional wreck. You're not sure how to think. Your mind's in a whirl, and it feels like your world is crumbling around you. It's fallen apart, and that everything that you know, you begin to question the reality of your relationship with God, the reality of truth, who God is, who you are in him, and you begin to look at life in this very colored lens of why even go on? I, I, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't I don't know what trials or suffering you may be right now currently in but I want you to understand that hope in Christ gives purpose for your life. 3 years ago today my very close friend Brent Corson drowned while trying to save his son and daughter who were caught in a rip current in Lake Michigan. A day that began as a day of celebrating a little belated one of their daughter's birthday turned into a day of tragedy and suffering that's continuing to this day. When you watch believers suffer, there should be a marked difference in how they grieve and how they endure the suffering for one reason and one reason only, and that is because their hope is in Christ. The sorrowing is real. The pain is real. The questions are real. And it's hard And it hurts. And yet, in all of the darkness, when overwhelmed by grief and sorrowing and suffering, in it all, it is all can be done with hope in Christ. And He holds us, He secures us. It's not that our, to show us how strong our faith is. It reveals his power that secures us, his faithfulness to us. And so this morning, would you look with me at verse number 10 as we see this, the fact that our hope gives purpose to our living, a couple things happen in verse 10, he and we've already heard it read that the Old Testament prophets searched diligently about the salvation that would come through Christ. They inquired diligently, who is it and when is it going to take place? What, what manner of man and how is this going to all happen? And what they realized was this, is they realized that what they were prophesying about, they would never see it come to fulfillment. They wanted to know who the Messiah would be. They wanted to know who he was. They, they wanted to see him. They wanted to know the manner and the means of this, and they inquired diligently, and they searched, and then they came to realize, if you look in verse number 10, they, that the, um, it was revealed to them they were not serving themselves but us. To those who have had the word of God preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the one who came in the darkness of our sin. Jesus Christ is the one who is the savior of the world. Who came to reconcile us to God. So that we who were hopeless could have hope. They never saw it. Can I tell you something? Do you realize you are more privileged than the prophets who prophesied of old? Because you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been manifested. Not only was he manifested when he took on flesh and lived on this earth. He has been revealed in the word of God to us. We have the revelation of the person and work of Christ given to us so that we can know him. So that we can live with hope. And he says here that not only are we more privileged than the prophets because we have, through the good news of Jesus Christ, has Christ been manifested to us, but he says, look at, the, look at the very interesting phrase at the end. He says, things into which angels long to look. That's an amazing little phrase. Because what that means is right now, maybe you've never thought of this, but have you ever thought of the truth that right now there are angels who long to understand what we are experiencing but listen angels while they are created spiritual beings they are not created in the image of God and they were not created to have the kind of personal relationship with God that you and I have yeah they're angels but we are sons and daughters we share in the very nature and life of Jesus Christ, because 1 John chapter five, 11 and 12 says, "And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son of, hath life, He that hath not the Son of God hath not life." Look at me, there's two kinds of people sitting here this morning. You either have Jesus and therefore have eternal life, or you do not have Jesus and you do not have eternal life." It's all based on Christ. Have you believed the gospel? Have you understood that you are a sinner separated from God by your sin? And yet God in His love, sent Christ, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who came and lived a sinless life on this earth, who came and died a substitutionary death for you. He bore your sins on His body on the tree, 1 Peter two twenty four, And He... He, through his sacrifice, paid in the full payment that was required by God for our sins to be forgiven. He literally rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. He ascended into heaven and he's coming back. That is our Jesus. That is our Savior. Do you have Jesus? Because if you do, you have life. And therefore, if you have life in Christ, you you have hope. Can I tell you this? If you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have eternal life. And if you do not have eternal life, you do not have hope. And by the way, the word hope here is not the idea of something that is uncertain that might or might not happen, like my deer hunting career the last seven years. (laughs) I hope I kill a big buck. Well, I haven't, okay, for seven years. It's been frustrating. That's not what the word hope means. It means a confident expectation of a reality that just has not yet been realized. It's guaranteed by God. It's going to happen. And we will see it one day. We just haven't seen it yet. And that's what our hope is. And if you do not have Christ, you do not have hope. You might be hoping in your religion. You might be hoping in your good works, in your friends, in a relationship. Some of you are hoping in jobs or money to bring that satisfaction or peace that you are trying so desperately to achieve. Apart from Christ, there is no hope and thus no purpose. Which then leads us to our text. Look with me, please. So they long to look into this. We have it. Here's the exhortation that we find, First Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 13. Because God's word says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The exhortation is set this way. It's fixed your hope in Christ. Grammatically, there's another way you can actually kind of interpret this verse. You can actually put the, the kind of the second half of the verse first, which is the idea of hope to the end. Fix your hope completely on Christ. When it says hope fully on the grace, fix your hope in Christ. Hope to the end. Your hope completely. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be revealed. What he's saying here is this, is that because our hope is in Christ, understand that this hope it, for, and this grace it, that began at salvation continues all the way for eternity. He secures it. And so he says, look to the end, realizing one day... There is going to be a revealing of the person of grace who is the person of Christ, whether that be by our death when we are absent from the body and present with the Lord or whether he comes and raptures us and we are present with the Lord through the rapture. He says, understand this, you need to fix your hope completely on Jesus Christ, realizing that the hope for eternity is what gives you hope for today. Because he that begun this work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And he is with you each step of the way. That's why Jesus is our constant and consistent hope. And there is a day coming when that grace in Jesus Christ, that glorification that happens when we either are in his presence through death or by the rapture, when it's going to be revealed. So he says, look, understand, it's all the way through the end fix your hope in Christ. And then he says, this is how you do that. That's kind of what the first, the first two exhortations in the verse are. This is how we fix our hope on Christ. By doing two things. Look what he says. We do this by, look at the verse beginning of verse 13, by preparing your minds for action. Literally, um, another translator puts it this way, gird up the loins of your mind. That's kind of weird, right? Gird up the loins, you know, that's kind of weird when you're in church talking about girding up loins. okay. Prepare your minds for action. Here's what it meant. When this was written, men wore robes. And soldiers, athletes, they all wore them. And what they would do when they were getting ready to compete in an athletic event, when they were going to go into warfare, or if if they were going to be involved in any activity that required some type of strenuous activity, what they would do is they would take their robes and they would tie them up around their legs and their waist so that they wouldn't trip, stumble, fall, or be in any ways inhibited or encumbered by them. And that's literally what it means when it says, gird up the lawyer of your minds. It says, prepare your minds for action. Be ready. If you were walking down the street, most guys had their, you know, their robes were flowing. When you saw somebody who had their robes gird up and tied up around their waist, you know what you knew? That person is ready to do something. I don't know what it is, but he's ready. He's active. One of the greatest weaknesses and struggles that we have as believers is that too many believers have not prepared their minds for action did you know that we're all a little bit different yeah some of you are going to relate to what I'm going to say some of you are going to be like what in the wide world is is he talking about when I go to a restaurant I went to lunch with Terrence the other day we sat down at Hacienda he sits down across me he goes is it okay if I have this seat because Jim Colbert whenever he has to he doesn't like his back to the door and I don't know well I don't like having my back to the door. When I walk into a place, I am looking for threats, I'm looking for ways of escape, I'm looking for suspicious characters. I don't like my back to the door. You say, why? I don't know. Probably it's because I was in martial arts for several years, okay? That's just kind of how I think. Some of you are like, I have never thought about I've never thought about sitting at Hacienda and somebody coming up behind and me and bonking me on the head for my seven dollars in my wallet. <laughs> I do. I think that way. I'm a hunter. Some of, you, like I've never, some of you have never thought about what you smell like and how you get smell on your clothes that deer can smell that would scare them away. You're like, what are you talking about? Camouflage, stealth. You say, oh, I, what? Yep. That, because you know, when I, when I get ready, when I'm, when I'm hunting and there's different things, I prepare my mind for different things. However, some of you are not. Some of you, you've got this checklist. Before you go on a road trip, you've got 77 things that you check off before you go on a road trip. You've got the oil. You're looking at blink. Some of you check your blinkers. Um. So everybody has their thing, but you know what? Here's here's the idea: is that it's a thought process that's ready for action. Can I tell you something? You realize that Philippians four eight says, "Finally, brethren, whatsoever of things are true, what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are just, what things are pure, whatsoever are of lovely, whatsoever of things are good, report if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise. Think on these things. You need to have a mind ready. Can I tell you something? Do you want to know why it's so many? It's easy when Satan comes and tempts us and we fall into the sin so easily. It's because we haven't prepared our minds for action. Have you identified? Your temptations and how Satan tempts you? Have you have you been preparing yourself? You realize when, I, when I'm at work or I'm at home, these are the things that kind of set me off. These are the these are the sins that I get into very easily that I seem to succumb to the temptations? Are you preparing your mind? Can I ask you this? Are you so walking with the Lord that listen, do you realize your life could change today? I really pray it doesn't. I really pray it does not. But as I look out here. There are people who I know and I love. Your life changed literally in a day. It was one phone call. What if you get that call today of bad news? Are you ready? Is your mind, do you know the word? Do you know your God? Do you have a mind that is exercised in faith and hope so that you have a mind that is prepared by the word of God so that you are ready for what's coming in life? Do you have a mind that is focused and saturated and enriched and nourished on the truth of God so that when things come that you are unexpected by God's grace, you have a mind that is prepared for action? Gird up the loins of your mind, he says. Look what else he says as he continues. He says, not only prepare your mind, gird up the loins of your mind. He says, be sober. Be sober-minded. The idea here is, is having a, a non-intoxic... It's not referring here to alcoholism, but it's kind of like a, an example or an analogy saying, don't be intoxicated in your thoughts and actions by imbibing the world's philosophy and thinking. Instead, have discipline, self-control. I'm not making fun of alcoholics. Might You know this? Many of you do. My grandpa was an alcoholic. My uncle Dennis was an alcoholic. He drank a half a gallon of whiskey a day plus beer. When a person drinks alcohol, it actually affects their brain. And it causes them to slur in their speech. They stumble in their walk. And you ever seen these guys? They're have you ever watched cops? They pull some guy over, and here's a guy who's like got a master's degree or a doctor or whatever. He's drunk, and he says, "Say your ABCs. ABCLM." why can't they say that they they can't even do the abc's you want to know why Because they're intoxicated. They're not thinking clearly. That's why people with mild personalities act really crazy sometimes. People do things that are things they normally wouldn't do if they weren't intoxicated. What he's saying here is, listen, you have to be disciplined in your mind. Be sober-minded. Do not drink in the world's philosophy. Do not be drinking in the lies of Satan. Do not be imbibing on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Guard your mind. Because if you do, you're going to be, in t- you're gonna stagger in your spiritual walk. You're going to slur in your spiritual speech. You're not going to have the ability to think clearly, to make clear decisions that honor God. And you must think clearly. You must know God's word and be able to have a sober, clear mind in order to be able to live with hope. Because all it takes... It's Satan. Some of you have had this happen. Satan has in your mind, he has gotten you to question the goodness of God. Is he good? Is he all powerful? Is he this? And, he, and you have, some of you, in the, in just in the realm of the people that you're with, they are constantly attacking the truth that you hold to, to where some of you are questioning, is Jesus the only way? I mean, is really the gospel it? Is Jesus really the only way to God? Isn't that narrow-minded? I don't know. Is, is, is really the, the, the sin in the world around us, is it really that bad, or should I become more tolerant of it? Sober-mindedness, disciplined thinking, prepare your mind for action. This is how you prepare your life to live with hope. Then he says this, look with me please at the next verse. He goes on to say in verse 15 and 16, he says, "But as, well, excuse me, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So this is the way before you came to Christ, don't live in those sinful desires. That's what the word passions means. And then he says this, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am be holy. So he says this, look, you need to fashion yourself. Your life should be fashioned or conformed or shaped to God's character, not to the way you used to live before you were saved. There should be a difference. And here's the exhortation. Number one, he says, as an obedient child, obey Christ. He says, look, you're you're to be an obedient child. Do you realize that obedience is to be one of the identifying marks of a genuine believer? That's what John 14, 15 says, that genuine love for God is demonstrated by obedience. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep or obey my commandments. First John 5, 3, and this is the love of God that we keep or obey his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. We need to remember we are children of God and we are obligated to obey him. And he reminds us as a child of God, be obedient. And then he says this, don't be fashioned or conformed to your formal sinful desires. But in contrast, he said, be ye holy... In all your manner of conversation, in all of your areas of living, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In other words, the basis of a holy living is because of the character and nature of who God is, and our life is to be, it's a process, it's that sanctification process of our life becoming more like Jesus Christ and less like who? Me. Less like, less like me. You need to be more like Jesus Christ. Now, here's one of the problems with holiness. Holiness freaks Baptists out. You ever notice that? It really does. It freaks us out of holiness, because we really don't know what it is. So, holiness, some of the ideas is this, is that holiness means sinlessness, which, by the way, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. And so, what holiness is, is so like, man, i got to be holy. And we use cliches. By the way, cliches are not truth. Did you know that? You ever heard this one? It's not about how far can I go, but how pure can I be. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? How close to sin can I get, but guys, pure can I be? That's a great cliche, but that's not Bible truth. Let me explain this. So when I was growing up, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there was a, a segment of fundamental Baptist churches that I was in that this was their way of thinking. I want you to follow this. We're going to start here and end up over there. All right, over here was, okay, you answer this yes or no. Can I watch, are there things on TV that a believer should not watch, yes or no? Yes, so to be whole, if I'm going to be holy, should I watch certain sinful things, yes or no? No. Okay, so what they say is, okay, I'm going to be holy, so what I'm going to do is I am going to only watch sports, okay? That's so all I'm going to watch. Is that good? Kind of helps up. Sure. Okay, so then they do this. They're like, well, you know what? I'm going to be holier than that. <laughs> uh, you may only watch sports. All I watch is animal programs because have you seen cheerleaders on the sports games? So, yeah. You think you're holy? I got you on that one. And then somebody else comes along and says, oh, yeah? You know what I do? I have a TV, but I don't watch it. I have a VCR, and I watch Sheffy. Some of you will understand that. Some of you have no clue. For those of you who know what it is, you'll appreciate it. All right. So I'm more spiritual than you are. Well, then we have over here, oh, yeah? You know what? I have a TV, and I only watch... I only watch uh, Sheffy, but I take my TV and I put it in a closet. And I don't take it out of the closet until I'm going to watch Sheffy. It's not just sitting out there as a temptation. Oh, yeah? (laughs) You think you're holy? I really got you. You know what I do? I rent a TV (laughs) and a VCR in order to watch Sheffy. I don't have a TV or a VCR, and I never will in my home. One more step. I won't go to anybody's house that has a TV. You know why? Because I am, did you get the phrase holier than thou? I am holier than you. And so what people have is they have this, it's a list of standards and things of holiness to try to make them be more and more and more holy. And and that is exactly not what God is getting at here. Yes, part of it is, is believers should not be, as an obedient child, they should not be engaging in the very sin that Jesus Christ died to save them from. We should be continually and constantly confessing sin, and we should be seeking by the grace of God to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies, that we should obey in its lust. and we we should be seeking by God's grace to not let sin have dominion over us, because we are not under law, we are under grace. However, holiness is not conformities to standards. Holiness is conformity to Jesus Christ. It doesn't say do holy things. It says be holy. And it is far more than simply just not doing simple things because holiness in its essence is not only God's sinlessness, it is the perfection of all that God is in his character and his nature. That's why his love is holy. That's why his anger is holy holy that's why his righteousness and his justice everything that god is god is completely self-sufficient god is completely perfect in all his ways and that is the holiness of god And you know what he wants you to become more like him he wants your your love for others to be more holy he wants your kindness your forgiveness he wants your joy He wants your life to become more like him because your life is constantly being changed to become more like Christ. In other words, the goal is to be like him and allow his word to change us in our character and our conduct to be more like our Savior. By the way, do not underestimate how important this is. Because when you as an obedient child of God are seeking to be more like Jesus Christ, and he is changing you by his truth, by his word to become more like him, as you go through the difficult trials and challenges that you are facing, it will enable you to go through those trials with greater hope and greater joy. Do you want to know why? Because you are allowing God to take that trial and to make you even a little more like him. As we wrap up our time together in God's word this morning. Your life has purpose, friend. And your life's purpose is greater than yourself. And it's greater beyond the goals and the plans and the dreams and aspirations that you have for yourself. And for those friends and for those of you who are here this morning. Who are hurting and who are suffering and who are going through questionable, dark times. And you, are, you feel as though you are drowning in the storm of life. And you're trying to get a breath every now and then just to try to keep your head above water. You have purpose, friend. Your life has purpose. Because our hope in Christ gives purpose and meaning to our existence, to our living. So I want to remind you this morning as we get ready to transition into a time of reflection and response. The things that the prophets prophesied about have been revealed to you in Christ. Angels long to see what you enjoy, to know the kind of relationship, if you believe the gospel that you have, and they can never know the joys of that relationship because they can't be reconciled to God because they were not created in his image. Because of those reasons... We are exhorted to to fix our hope fully on Christ and hope to the end for the grace to be revealed to us by preparing our minds for action, by being disciplined in our thinking, by being sober-minded, and as an obedient child, not fashioning ourselves according to our formal sinful desires, but seeking to be like him, to be holy as he is holy. This is what he's called us to. So this morning, in just a moment, we're going to do this. Our heads are going to be bowed. Our eyes are going to be closed. We're going to have a time of just silence. We're just going to take time to reflect, think about these truths, and to respond. God knows the need of your heart. Would you communicate this morning right where you are to the Lord the truth that he has brought to your attention and respond in obedience to that truth this morning? And ask God to help you to live this life with purpose because of your hope in Christ. After our time of silence, I'll pray, and then Pastor Ben will come and lead us into closing hymn. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's reflect and respond to this truth this morning. Father, this morning we give you praise and thanks for the hope that we have in Christ because of the salvation that was prophesied by the prophets, the salvation that the angels long to look into, a salvation that is secured by you. Father, a salvation that gives us hope as believers to live this daily life with all of its trials and difficulties with hope. Would you use your word to help us to see the importance of preparing our minds for action, being sober-minded, fixing our hope completely on Christ, and seeking by your grace to conform our lives to you, to be holy as you are holy. Father, you are at work this very moment by your word and spirit, working in hearts, meeting needs, and we thank you for what you are doing and what you will do. Help us, Lord, this week to live with hope and purpose, and I pray this in Jesus' name.